The Power Connect podcast is brought to you by Innowatts, winners of the Frost and Sullivan 2022 North American Company of the Year Award. Commercial solutions, utility solutions, financing solutions. Like we we know what we're doing, we know what our target markets are, we know, you know, what our go-to-market strategy is and we just want to keep replicating, you know, our modest success and keep growing with really really smart, productive people. Welcome into the Power Connect Podcast. I'm your host, Fred Davis, episode 46 of the program, rolling along on a Wednesday. Happy hump day to everybody out there. Hump day haikus, anyone? Yes, one of my old throwbacks from back in the radio days. Maybe we'll bring it back for a show or two, but we'll see about that. But in the meantime, let's roll along with all things energy. And look, it's an exciting time, as you guys already know, to be in the energy space. But more importantly, look, as we wind this year down, and again, I could do the proverbial, I can't believe how fast the year's going by, But I just did. Hey, we got Halloween coming up next week. Maybe we'll do a Halloween episode. Stay tuned for that. We've actually got some great episodes coming up. Stay tuned on the other side of this interview uh, when we'll break down who we've got coming up. But this year, again, coming to a huge conclusion, right? Again, it's been a big year with the Inflation Reduction Act, with what's going on overseas. It's going to be a volatile winter. And so because of all that, right now, everybody is just, you know, look, everybody's locked and loaded. And that's no different for the two gentlemen I've got on my show today, Jason Schwartzberg and Phil Krosky from MD Energy Advisors, just two shining stars in this energy space. Guys who, along with their 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 third co-founder, uh, Mr. Paul Cleary, 12 years ago, these guys weren't even in the energy. Like they had no energy background and then they jumped into the energy space and here we are, you know, a dozen years later and they are arguably, without question, one of the best energy advising companies, not just on the East Coast and certainly not just in Baltimore and they've got the the pelts on the wall to prove it, but one of the premier shops across the entire United States of America. And if you're saying, well, Fred, of course you're going to say that they're on your show. I'll tell you what, you hear what Phil and Jason have to say and I'll let you decide for yourself. But before we get to what Phil and Jason have to say, let me tell you about my podcast partner that I'm excited to be working with and we've done some great work and the best is yet to come. Watts. They recently joined an exclusive group last week that included Microsoft, Vonage, and Cisco, just to name a few, as they were recognized as the 2022 North American Company of the Year by research giant Frost & Sullivan. Why Watts? Hyper-aware of the role customer behavior plays in this new age of load forecasting thanks to a more diverse and sensitive grid, Watts' AI-powered software-as-a-service platform provides real-time actionable information to retail energy providers, utilities, and emerging clean tech energy companies to help them better understand their customers' energy usage in order to not only transform how their load forecasting is done, but to provide a blueprint for how energy is being consumed and generated. They also educate clients on what their carbon footprint looks like and provide cost-effective strategies to help reduce them. For the team at Innowatch, they're not just providing energy data, they're providing information for a cleaner grid and a better tomorrow. Discover the Innowatch difference today with a demo and go to Innowatch Watts.com or connect with them on LinkedIn. All right, let's get down to today's show. Jason Schwartzberg, Phil Krosky, two of the folks of the group MD Energy Advisors, and we had a tremendous conversation with them. Like I said, 12 years ago, these guys broke into the energy space with absolutely no energy background. Here they are a dozen years later in one of the premier energy consulting and advising shops in the entire United States of America. 
commercial utility financing opportunities, whether it's energy efficiency projects, renewable projects, and or just good old-fashioned nat gas and electricity brokering. These guys do a little bit of it all. But more importantly, what really stood out to me is not just the synergy between these guys and just kind of what they're doing in the space, but more importantly, the culture that they've created. And look, I get it. Culture can become a very cliche word, and I know it gets thrown around a lot. But when you hear about what Phil and Jason are doing, the diversity behind this group and how they are becoming a beacon of what the energy space can look like, I think you'll have a different takeaway from what these guys are doing, not just in the business world, but what they're doing in the people world as well. And and we get into a little top five rap group of all time discussion. Yes, you probably didn't expect that in your energy podcast. Well, we got a surprise for you today. So without further ado, shout out to Miss Jamie Levin as well. Here is from MD Energy Advisors, Jason Schwartzberg and Phil Krosky. When you think about energy in a historical context, it's really been kind of basically the utility centered around the utility. And there's really been no decentralization of this industry in over 100 years. So the grid that was created over 100 years ago is the same grid that we use today. And now what you've seen over the last 15 years or so, maybe 20 or so years, is really a decentralized on how people not only use power, but how power is being generated. And so, you know, the grid is old uh, and it's aging and everything is moving towards electrification. So when you look at a state like California that, you know, consistently have rolling blackouts, we need to think of new creative ways to generate electricity and also new and creative ways on how we utilize our electricity. I think when what COVID taught us uh, more so than anything, that if we didn't have electricity, it would have been catastrophic to the economy. And that became the backbone of all everything that we did so that we can still continue to run our businesses via Teams and Zoom. Um, so we can, can still kind of meet amongst everyone and, you know, not miss a beat. And at the backbone of that was energy. So let's jump into who MD Energy Advisors is and where does MD Energy Advisors kind of fit into this whole energy transition at the end of the day for folks that are listening to this program. You know, look, they they know that the energy space has become very, very crowded. How does MD Energy Advisors and the products that you offer, the services that you offer stand out from everybody else? I'll take that one, Fred. I think we have three offerings. I think we have commercial solutions. I think we have utility solutions. And we have financing solutions. So if we unpack those three a little bit more, uh, commercial solutions, we broker electricity and natural gas. We do energy efficiency projects. We do renewable projects mm-hmm. is really what we're hyper-focused on that. And uh, mostly for the commercial real, uh, the commercial vertical, uh, of which is many commercial real estate owners. That's, uh, that's kind of our niche or our core focus within our commercial offering. So that's our commercial solutions division. Uh, our utility solutions division, uh, and, and Phil can expand on this a bit, but we're very focused on demand side management programs for utilities around the country. So we help manage demand side management programs in New Orleans, South Carolina, New York, New Jersey, Washington, D.C., Maryland. And we're you know always looking at opportunities. We're targeting one in the southeast right now and one in the Midwest where you know we're helping utility providers activate their demand side management from a business development approach and from an engineering approach to really make sure that 
there's awareness of the programs and those rebates get out there in the marketplace so people can take advantage of the rebates. Uh, we can reduce reliance on, on the grid. So that's our utility solutions division. And then our financing solutions division, uh, we finance the energy-related capital projects. So we can do that through uh, you know, a couple of, of interesting ways. We do some energy performance contracting for historically black colleges has been a growth opportunity for us. Uh, we've leveraged the CPACE financing product uh, for ground up construction, reposition, energy related capital projects and retroactive opportunities. And uh, we've also done some on bill utility financing, but um, you know, we, there's, there's a lot to unpack there, but I think to succinctly state, we provide commercial solutions, utility solutions and financing solutions. Yeah. Pivot is uh, probably our middle name to get to the, uh, the origin story. We, we started our company in 2010, me, Phil, and we have another founder, Paul. Uh, none of us had energy experience. We had no relationships. And candidly, we didn't have, have much money. Um, and we decided we wanted to get into this energy space. So our first iteration, uh, we basically founded a choice platform. So in the deregulated energy markets, uh, there wasn't a clean site that aggregated all of the competitive options. So we, uh, our entree into the energy space was an energy choice residential platform called Point Click Switch. Uh, so if you can imagine Expedia of Energy, you know we're flying from Baltimore to West Palm Beach. You get onto Expedia and it aggregates all of the competitive offers and you can compare and contrast what you might want to select. Okay. We did that same thing in the energy space. So Point Click Switch, our entree into the energy space was aggregating the competitive offers in the marketplace, allowing people to point click switch their way to energy savings, renewable options, whatever they might want. Uh, that was our entree uh, into this business. What we learned really quickly uh, is the cost to acquire was high and the margins were low and we were a bootstrap company. So uh, point click switch is still alive and well today. It's not a concerted focus of ours, but it was our entree into the energy space and our first pivot uh, was actually this pivot from residential to commercial. Um, so we started with residential in 10, pivoted to commercial probably in 2012, and we provided brokering services, electricity and natural gas to the commercial real estate community, strictly, you know, strictly that business. Uh, that did great uh, from probably 12 to 15. That's all we did. And we said, look, we're reducing the cost they're paying per kilowatt hour or per unit to reduce operating expenses. Let's reduce the number of units that they're using. So we launched an energy efficiency division to push and pull, right? So if we can reduce the cost that they're paying per kilowatt hour, we can reduce the number of kilowatt hours they're using. We can really co compound that operating expense savings for our commercial real estate folks improve net operating income, more free cash flow, like everybody's happy. Not to mention the, you know, the intrinsic benefits of reducing consumption from a sustainability standpoint. And then fast forward, uh, right around COVID, me, Phil, and Paul were kind of running this as a three-headed monster, you know, decision by committee. With COVID, we weren't going to be in person. We really had to delegate. And probably our, our last and, and most successful pivot was splitting up the business lines. So Paul took the commercial solutions, Phil took the utility solutions, I took the financing solutions. Uh, and if you look at, you know, that proverbial hockey stick, like we we're, we're in the midst of it. You know, we're, we're kind of hitting that. Employee growth went, Phil, pre-COVID, we were 12-ish. 
March 2020, we were at uh, 11 employees. And then what are what are we today, and what will we be at the end uh, of the we, year? We have 40 employees right now, so significant growth since March of 2020. And then by the end of the year, first quarter of next year, we'll be pushing 50. 50 That's employees, some... yeah, 50 employees. Walk me through what that conversation was like a few years ago when the three of you decided, look, this is the tack we need to take, and kind of how that went down. Yeah, and I, I would say, Fred, um, I, I don't think it was a difficult conversation. Okay. I think it was one that, you know, we knew that we had to get hyper-focused uh, and, and really grow. You know, what COVID did and for our company, it, what, it democratized where you were in the world. And what I mean by that is prior to the pandemic, you know, companies would say, well, can you do business in Texas? Can you do business in Louisiana? And it wasn't the norm that you would convene meetings via, you know, teams via Zoom. They wanted you to be in person. Well, lo and behold, when the pandemic hit, you know, we were able to say we could be anywhere in the country and we can have that conversation uh, with a utility in, you know, North Carolina, with a utility in New York. And it wasn't it wasn't a conversation about, well, you guys aren't located here. How are you going to staff? How are you going to get workforce to work and help us? When you're not, when you're located in Maryland, so it, it was actually a blessing in disguise for us, and that allowed us to really, you know, hit the ground running. Where normally it was like, well, you're not based here, so you know, how can you help serve our clients and our customers? How was the conversation and/or the process of scaling up and adding these new folks? Because you know, as a, a famous philosopher once said, "More money, more problems." Yeah, <laughs> the famous uh, Christopher Wallace. I believe I that was his that name. Yes. Philosopher. <laughs> so I, I, I would say this, Fred. What and I don't know if it was necessarily a stroke of genius or just pure luck, but creating a company culture in a virtual environment was something that was we had to hone in on. And and Jason, kudos to him. He was the first to say we need to do virtual staff meetings every Monday morning, 9 a.m., to start to check in with people. Yeah. And that really was the start um, of us really coming together. And during, you know, during the pandemic, it was more checking on everyone's well-being. How are you doing? How's your family doing? Is everyone staying safe? How are you doing? And then secondary became, okay, what are some of the business goals and objectives that we're trying to meet and, and reporting out? And so that still holds true to that. We have a, staff, a weekly staff meeting every Monday morning, 9 a.m., and it still has the same type of agenda. How is everyone doing? How was your weekend? What's going on? The last one we had, we did Instagram Monday. Share pictures of your family. Share pictures of your pets. Share pictures of your, your friends. Um, and people love it. I mean, people love that. And what we had to do is really get hyper-focused on creating a virtual culture, just like we would if we were in the office and creating a culture in the office, and it's worked really well. And I know you have other business owners listening to your podcast, Fred. I would encourage them if they aren't doing that to do that. But also we do quarterly all-hands meetings. And this year's theme was wellness, physical, mental, financial, all-around wellness and well-being. Because one of the things I like to say is, look, we want our people to win in life so they can win in work. If you aren't winning in life, you damn sure ain't going to win at work. So how do you help folks win in life? so that they could be the most productive you know, folks for your organization. Yeah, and, and Phil, if I could add to that, I think uh, one thing, uh, Fred, that was really interesting uh, over COVID with some of the, the, the check-ins from a cadence standpoint, 
uh, is you really got to know people yeah. like water, water cooler talk is, is great, but specifically in these quarterly all hands meetings, the theme this year was wellness, the theme previously. And, uh, we can, we can, uh, steal from the Cleveland Browns, Phil's a Cleveland Browns fan. I'm a Baltimore Ravens fan. So we're in the division We're we're competitors, but, uh, Kevin Stefanski coach of this, uh, the Cleveland Browns took over the Browns in a COVID environment. Um, he had to set culture, get to know his players, do all of these things without being in person. And uh, one thing, he's probably done a lot of things really, really well, but he did one thing called the four H's. Uh, it was a uh, hero's heartbreak, history, and hope. So whereas wellness was our focus for this year, for all, our all hands, uh, during COVID, we focused on the four H's each quarter Every single person on our staff, uh, the first one was heroes. The next one was heartbreak. The next one was history. The next one was hope. You really get to know somebody, you know, if you focus on on those things and um, even candidly better than you would get to know them if they were in person. And it was raw and there was empathy. And, and you know, it was it was really, really interesting. So I would encourage uh, anyone that's trying to, you know, set uh, culture and get to know their folks in uh, in this environment to uh, deal deal what we did and you know and 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 do this 4Hs exercise. Have you guys integrated back into the office? Are you guys doing kind of a hybrid thing now? And I'm guessing, given how much you guys connected with your employees, and I think that's absolutely fascinating how you guys have done that because again, I think that was one of the more overlooked aspects of the work setting during COVID. Is I don't I don't think people did exactly what you guys did. So again, I my hats off to you because I know from working from home for me has been a struggle because I'm not that guy, and you know it gets real lonely real quick. How has been acclimating back to the workplace been for y'all? Yeah, we made an early call um, that this was we were we were gaining so much traction and having so much success kind of being in remote environments that we moved to a work more of your most productive policy. Like we just want you to be productive. Okay. Um, we didn't want to mandate you come back in the office. Now we had an office. Actually, we had an all a bigger office that we struck about fifty percent of our square footage. So we still have an office for folks who just need to get out the house. Sure. Who want to go to the office? A friend like yourselves. Summer was rough because my sons were home every day, all day. So I was like, I got to get out of here. I got to go in the office. How old are uh, your boys? Uh, my boys are um, 16 and 17. So I have teenage boys who play their music loud, who talk loud, uh, who argue loud. Everything is loud in my house. Absolutely. So, so, so with that, you know, the office was good. But what was most important for us is, just people do your jobs, you know, just do your jobs to the best of your ability. And, uh, you know, if that means you're at home, that means you're away somewhere nice on at the beach. As long as you're being productive, I think that that took precedence over FaceTime, which is unique because coming into the workforce in the late 90s, early 2000s, uh, FaceTime was a real thing. Uh, and you didn't want to leave where I come in corporate America at five o'clock because you weren't putting in enough FaceTime. So... Bringing it back to the energy side of things, you know, what are some of the challenges you guys are facing right now? And what is one of the most maybe underrated or underappreciated aspects of the energy transition that you guys see that you don't feel is being talked about enough? Wow, that's a big question. I don't know if I have enough time to answer it all here, Fred. I think when we started in 2010, uh, and Jason mentioned this, our, our sole focus was on kind of deregulated power. And that was kind of new in and of itself, where you could buy your electricity and natural gas from an alternative supplier that kind of came of age in the late 90s to 
throughout the 2000s where states began to deregulate. And that in 2010, that was cutting edge because people were like, what do you mean I can't buy my electricity from my local utility? What do you mean I can get it from this other party and it's less? That you're going to make the utility mad at me and they're going to cut off my service. So that was that was like earth shattering uh, 12 years ago then. Um, but when you think of 2010, man, that's a, it seems like forever ago. Um, there wasn't really much talk about electric vehicles, right? And we're talking about kind of how things have changed. You know, Tesla was kind of a this upstart. Um, you know, Elon was, you know, really at that time, really just trying to get it going. And then Tesla really didn't kind of hit its stride. I would say around 13 and 14 uh, is when you start to see really kind of this um, adoption of electric vehicles. So that has changed in the last 12 years. You always had solar, uh, and solar's always been an important piece as it relates to generation um, of power. Um, but it really didn't have the mainstream appeal that you see here today. Um, and so now you're seeing, again, increased adoption of solar and renewable power uh, as it relates to what's different between when we started in 2010 to now. And then all these other forms of generation, offshore wind was pretty much non-existent when you talk about the generation of power. States really, especially along the East Coast, um, mobilized very quickly to, to pass offshore wind legislation. So there are these different types of renewable energy. And I think all of this combined, when you think of it, really has been a big emphasis on climate change. And it's it's been a very slow yet intentional process that fast forward gets us to the Inflation Reduction Act. And I love the way they framed it as an Inflation Reduction Act, but in, in essence, the dirty secret, it's a green bill. It's a green bill that helped expedite the need to build you know, additional infrastructure for EV charging, additional renewable sources of generation um, across the country. Um, additional funding for all of these measures that really propel us um, off of kind of the traditional fossil fuels and more to this decarbonized environment. So, I mean, it's been a lot of trade. I mean, there's a lot more that I probably missed, but that's just kind of the snapshot of how this world has changed. And our goal as advisors is really to be able to take all of this stuff, um, having non-engineering you know, energy backgrounds and really distill it and demystify and simplify it for the average, average everyday person. Commercial build, building owners, residential folks in some respects, um, and even for our utility customers who need to talk to their clients. I mean, it's taking all this stuff and helps simplify the process so people can understand and digest it. And whether they are really big on sustainability or they just want to save a few bucks, mm -hmm. it all means the same thing. Phil, I think, uh, I think you did a really, really good job of capturing at the macro. I think at the micro, what I'm really interested to see is how the rising rate environment speeds up adoption of solar energy efficiency. I mean, the, the interesting thing for us as we were building is we were selling energy in a decreasing rate environment. Like how many things go down? <laughs> nothing, nothing goes down year by year. We started in 2010. You know, we got intentional and commercial in 2012. Like every contract renewal cycle on the commodity side, the rate per kilowatt hour was lower. I would say, you know, you started at 15 cents commodity only, then it was 12 cents, then it was 8 cents, then it was 6 cents. Uh, I would say the last renewal cycle from 
you know, 2010 to 2022, that this last latest renewal cycle was the first up market that we've had in commodity, um, you know, in the past 10 years. So if you're looking at cost to compare and you're looking at value proposition and you're looking at payback periods when you're evaluating an energy efficiency solution, they were tough to pencil. Right. Like if you're looking at six cent power, like it's hard to do battery storage. It's hard to do solar. It's hard to make that investment. It's the right thing. You know, you need to do it. But from a financial standpoint, even with all the subsidies out there, you were paying more per, you know, per kilowatt hour for power uh, to implement some of these things. And this latest renewal cycle rates are up. Uh, as everything has increased over time, you know, rates are up, costs to compare, you know, there's more headroom between what traditional brown power is and green power. There's a value proposition, not just from a sustainability standpoint, but from a savings standpoint. So if you look at incentives, if you look at cost to compare, if you look at mission, uh, I think you're going to see a, a ton of adoption, you know, over the next 10 years, because it's not just the sustainability angle, but the value propositions there as well. How much of what you guys do, and and I was just picking off of what Phil said, and 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 talking about what you're saying, Jason, is just having to re-educate or recalibrate clients on what they've heard or what they think, just explaining what the reality is versus what people's expectations are or what they've kind of built up in their head from what they've heard or or read somewhere. Yeah, I'd say seventy percent of our job is education. Right. It's, uh, you know, it's just, hey, here's the facts. And, you know, here's the information you need in order to make an informed decision. And here's our, you know, based on our understanding of your needs, here's the recommendation. But there's just so much noise out there. And where it was a detriment not being energy folks in 2010, I think it was a, a blessing. We kind of always joke that we're the business school of energy, right? Like we we have some amazing engineers on staff who can geek out with the best of them and, and really get in there. As founders, me, Phil, and Paul, like I have an MBA. You know, I'm not I'm not an engineer. It's you know, it, it's what's important now. It's listening and it's distilling a solution, you know, into what's going to reach someone's goals and objectives. And a lot of it is it's almost like the cliff notes, right? Like, you know, we can re we can read Shakespeare or we can read the cliff notes like, you know, let's make sure we give someone the cliff notes and they understand, you know, what the what the levers are and what's really important. And, and just to piggyback on what Jason said, I think it's also understanding what is the value prop to that client and how they can actually benefit from these various improvements. So if we're talking energy efficiency is how can we help you reduce operating expenses so you can redeploy that capital elsewhere within the business, whether it's hire more folks, whether it's increased you know, productivity elsewhere within your business, it's really looking at it from that standpoint of, okay, you may think, oh, why am I going to do this upgrade of a lighting or upgrade? But let's look at it from the standpoint of this investment will have a payback period of less than six months. And then what can you do with that capital once you, you know, beyond that six months and helping them understand that as it relates to electric vehicles. You know, we've heard it so much. We had one client say, I don't want to turn my parking garage into a gas station, meaning putting an electric vehicle charging stations in his, in his parking garage, you know, for his residence. And then I said, think about the, the different, think about the profile of the, the, the current EV driver, right? Tend to be higher income, 
probably is a competitive advantage over your peer group because you're offering EV charging for your residents while the other multifamily complexes aren't. Why don't you be able to do that lens of being a, you know, a value add and a selling point for your community than a detriment? Ah, once you flip it that way, let's go ahead and put those EV chargers in. Let's give me 10 of them so I can now attract all the Tesla owners to come live in my apartment. So it's just doing those types of things and helping people understand the benefits. One thing that struck me about uh, your organization, MD Energy Advisors, is you guys are a very diverse group, all right? I haven't seen, I mean, look, the numbers don't lie, uh, whether it's renewable, whether it's oil and gas. I mean, let's call it what it is. It's 80% white folks and 20% the rest. Uh, in different forms and fashion, you guys are a very strong-willed minority-backed uh, company, and what you guys have done in this space how can you guys be a, an example for the rest of, you know, folks that are looking to maybe want to break in, but they say to themselves, you know, black, brown, they, you know, we're not necessarily welcomed in this space. Yeah, that's a really good question, Fred. I mean, I think um, our, our first criteria as, as it relates to hiring, and, and thank you for acknowledging our workforce. We're pretty proud of our diverse workforce. The first criteria is to be a good human, right? That's, that's the first formal, first and foremost. Be a good human. We, the, the technical aspects we can teach, and, and Jason talked about it a little bit earlier, we, we don't have energy background. So when we enter into engaging with potential employees, depending on the role, we just want you to be a good human and tell us a little bit about yourself. Let us learn a little bit about yourself, what you're about, and where you want to go. The technical aspects, depending on the role, we can typically teach those things. And so, again, it's the same kind of premise we take with our customers. How do we make energy not intimidating, even for our potential workforce? And most folks from, you know, diverse communities, uh, particularly African-American communities, they haven't been really exposed to the energy sector at all. I, I wasn't exposed. Jason, Paul, and I were just crazy enough to start an energy company with no energy background um, and, and have had modest success. So the thought process is if we can do it, Someone who's probably much smarter than Phil Krosky can definitely do it. And it creates really kind of this on-ramp, you know, to the energy sector that's burgeoning. I mean, it's going to be a great next 15, 20 years in this particular sector. And so we are pretty intentional with making sure that we are going to HBCUs. We were just at uh, an HBCU last week doing some recruiting. We're going to HBCUs. We're speaking and we're part of organizations so that we can make sure that, you know, our workforce is reflective of the communities in which we serve. And that's really what it boils down to. How can our workforce be reflective of the communities in which we serve and keep it in line? If we do our jobs right, we can bring others into this industry and make sure that they understand it's not that intimidating. You too can learn it and you can grow a career in the energy industry. So I don't know if that answers your question, but- No, it absolutely does. I got to ask you real quick, uh, quick aside, uh, I had the chance to interview Busy Bone a couple years ago because he lives here in Houston. Where <laughs> does Bone rank in the all-time <laughs> groups uh, when uh, you talk hip-hop? Ray, you're talking, you're talking my language, man. Old school hip-hop. My, if my kids listen to this podcast, they'll call me an old head for, for talking about this stuff. But, Don't feel bad. Um, I got my kid on Tupac, so he's 14, so he had no choice. <laughs> You know, I would put Bone, I mean, it, it, from a group standpoint, Tribe Called Quest is my all-time. 
Okay, fair enough. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big Tribe Called Quest. Um, good Lord, that's a good question. I would say Bones probably. I mean, they're top five for three. sure. Yeah, they're, they're top, top five. five for definitely, sure. they're definitely top five. You yeah, know? I mean, yeah, they're they're top five. I like this. I was. I, it's funny. I, I went to a homecoming, and my my buddies who were from New York said, "You were the first person who ever had us listen to Bone Thugs and Harmony." And I was like, "I take pride in that." So, um, yeah, they definitely are top five. I would say top three, actually. Top three. I'll put it to like this: uh, If we're saying groups, are we saying two or more when we say group? Yeah, I would say two or more. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I think it begins and ends, and, and look, we could start a whole debate here. Uh, I'm partial to Outkast, all right, because mm, to me, yeah. Aquemini is arguably the greatest rap album of all time. Uh, I think you got to go Wu-Tang number two. Uh, yeah, Wu-Tang gets two, yep, yep, Okay, yep. you can't, I mean, you, you got to go Wu-Tang number two. I'm going to play my, rec- my, my regional bias. Uh, I got to go West Side Connection number three. And wow. then, okay. look, I, like I said, I'm 41, right? So, and I did, I, I got a chance to interview uh, one of my idols, Ice Cube, a couple years ago, and made him actually think about something and gave him an idea. I said, maybe have you ever thought about doing bootlegs and B sides too? And he said, no, I hadn't thought about that. We haven't seen it yet, but if you see it, uh, thank your boy. And then I got to go bone uh, number four. So that's uh, okay. just an impromptu top four. And I guess you go uh, tribe called. I like tribe. Don't get me wrong, but you know, again, uh, not not. Hardcore enough for you, Fred. Yeah. Enough if for you, you couldn't tell where my allegiances <laughs> are, if you couldn't tell, yes, well, I. Well, I'm, let me I'm make a little this one with it. This is the first interview I've connected energy and old school hip hop. I love it. This is great. Let's just bring it all back real quick, business-wise. I mean, look, we're in Q4. We're rounding up 2022. Obviously, 2023, we got recession talk in the, in the background. Uh, you know, we got everything going on with, with Russia and Ukraine. I mean, it's just everything is just at a fever pitch right now. But, you know, MD Energy Advisors continues to roll along, continues to keep doing what it's doing. What is kind of the focus right now for the rest of the year? And what kind of things do you guys have your sights set on for 2023? We're, uh, that. Yeah, this is this is an audio podcast, but we're on Zoom and we're smiling because uh, Monday we just came out of our retreat uh, for our 2023 planning. So we we uh, we mixed it up a little bit, but I would say we've been really focused. Out, but I would say we're we're probably more focused now than ever before. And not to sound cliche, but I think it's much of the same. I think it's you know doubling down on commercial solutions, utility solutions, and financing solutions. Like we we know what we're doing. We know what our target markets are. We know, you know, what our go-to-market strategy is. And we just want to keep replicating, you know, our modest success and keep growing with really, really smart, productive people. But I think that's what we're laser focused on right now. We see, you know, tremendous opportunities in doing performance contracting for historically black colleges. I'd say that's kind of our commercial solutions North Star right now. Our utility solutions North Star is is probably a combination of supporting demand side management projects and uh, supporting the, the adoption of EV infrastructure. So I think those are our two focuses there. And then on the financing side, uh, again, we we didn't unpack it much, which is is just fine. But we're hyper focused on CPACE financing for ground up construction, reposition, energy related capital, and we can also retroactively finance some projects. So in the event that there is a downturn and uh, people are having trouble from a cash flow standpoint, 
you know, we can provide them some retroactive capital, pay down their senior mortgage, uh, you know, re uh, replace their interest reserves. Um, but those, you know, commercial, commercial utility and financing solutions and the respective niches within those three verticals. Yeah, and just to add also, just making sure that we get and find great talent like we have been today. I mean, finding great talent, diverse talent. I mean, I think a, a, a goal for ours would be to maintain 50% or greater a diverse workforce as it relates to MD Energy Advisors. Um, and so that's super important to us. Uh, and then, you know, creating a culture that we're one of the best places to work in America. Not, not just in Maryland, not just on the East Coast, but in America. Um, you know, probably one of the greatest places to work and the most diverse place to work in America. So we think diversity is our, really our superpower. And we just don't say that. I mean, you hear a lot of people having these kind of pledges and proclamations of diversity and this and that. But, like, just go to their website. That'll tell the story. <laughs> go to their board. That'll tell the story. Like, so... Um, we will be like for our, our website and, and, and that and people you see on our team to tell that story instead of us giving a, a lot of proclamations and a lot of lip services. Thank you so much for that, Jason and Phil. You can catch all of the Power Connect podcasts over at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and of course over on the website as well, thepowerconnect.net. If you want to be a part of the program, give us a follow and connect with us over on LinkedIn, Fred Davis and or The Power Connect. And you can also reach out to us by email, fred at thepowerconnect.net, fred at thepowerconnect.net. We've got some exciting episodes that we're looking forward to here very, very soon. We've got Miss Andreka Bernatova. She's going to join the program. Mr. Brad Wills from Schneider Electric. And then, of course, my man, John Bell, is there. And a two-parter with a gentleman that I just had the uh, the pleasure of meeting. I've known who he was, but to finally sit down and get a chance to chit-chat with him a little bit and learn a little bit from this guy, one Mr. Neil Dykeman, uh, the character of all characters. And so looking forward to giving you guys that episode as well. So we've got some great episodes on the horizon you do not want to miss. And, of course, uh, obligatory plug, if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, and guess what? We know a lot of you do. Leave us a five-star rating. Listen to most of the podcast. Why? Because we think we do a pretty good job, and it helps with the algorithm. Shout out once again to everybody for making the Power Connect possible, the audience, the guests. Without you guys doing what you do, we couldn't do what we do. This has been the Power Connect podcast, connecting the energy transition one conversation at a time. Wake up, all the builders. Time to build a new land. I know we could do it. If we all lend a hand, the only thing we have to do.